Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Quirky Corporate Chicks podcast. We're your hosts, Sherry Hayes and Dana Foster, corporate life coaches in private practice. We focus on people who follow their passion and how their lives have been impacted. Real stories, real entrepreneurs, and lots of laughter as we look at where life has taken us. And today, we're here with the absolutely fantastic mentor and friend, Jay Zaltzman. Welcome, Jay. Thank you. Hi. Yes, welcome. We're so glad you were able to make it. And that's a fantastic shirt. Thank you so much. I put it on especially for you girls. (laughs) I mean, quirky chicks. (laughs) (laughs) So Jay uh, is an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, uh, but is based in the Palm Springs area. Um, very jealous over here as it's about 20 degrees Fahrenheit where I am at the moment in New York and uh, a market research company um, and also is a devoted life coach and mentor to other business people and and people like ourselves people like us quirky corporate chicks so why don't we hear a little bit about your background Jay and then we'll just get right into it um well, let's see. I'm thinking how far to go back. Like, do I go to prehistoric times? Because it feels that way sometimes. But um, <laughs> I, um, I will actually go prehistoric because I uh, was born in New York, but uh, grew up overseas in, in Israel. And um, when I was 29, I moved back to the U.S. and got a job at an ad agency um, as uh, an administrative assistant kind of worked my way up and discovered the um, the market research field that they do in agencies. So kind of got in it uh, into the field in a surprising way, in a way. Um, and uh, I was, I was, I was, since I had moved back to the U.S., I was kind of overqualified, if I do say so myself, for the administrative assistant role. So they well, kept like adding responsibilities. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, woo. But um they kept adding responsibilities to my job. And in the end, uh, market research became one of them. That's how I discovered the field. Since it's not that well known of a field. It's not like, you know, when you're young and you think I want to be a teacher or a doctor, you don't necessarily think I want to get into market research or it's not, not so visible. But I found it, you know, quite uh, fascinating. And actually my boss introduced me to uh, focus groups and moderating focus groups and said, you know, you'd be great at this. Um, and he was right. It's something I really loved. And, uh, started doing it and then uh, kind of got pushed into entrepreneurship in a way in that our ad agency lost its largest account and there were layoffs and I had the option of going back to be an administrative assistant or, um, you know, or leaving. And I ended up leaving and doing some freelance and just kind of, you know, fell into being self-employed because uh, a lot of companies hire um independent uh, moderators for their focus groups. So it kind of started earlier than I should have without enough experience and just uh, both learned a lot on the job and then started developing, uh, you know, and learned how to run a business on the job, starting from a really uh, junior level. So I'm not sure if I would recommend uh, to people to necessarily do it that way, but it ended up working for me with some trials and tribulations along the way. So once you took the leap, um, what, where did you start? Did you open up your own kind of LLC or did what, you know, what was the kind of the next steps or did you, did you partner up with anyone or did you go solo? 
you know, I went solo. I'll say, you know, I started at, at, um, at a rather junior level and I was, I was fairly young. And the, the benefit from being fairly young is that um, my cost of living was still quite low. <laughs> so I, I didn't have like all these responsibilities and mortgages and things like that. So I could get by, you know, making uh, very little money. The thing is, this was a while ago, let's say, you know, a little bit over 20 years ago. Uh, so it was not that common to be self-employed, you know, or, you know, not have an office and all that. It was just getting started because nowadays I think it's totally acceptable. And what I found and what still holds today that I recommend to people is that you don't, um, in the U.S., to start out on your own, you don't necessarily have to immediately incorporate and do all these fancy things and get an office. Uh, legally and tax-wise, you can just start on your own. You can be a freelancer. You become a subcontractor, you know, or a contractor, whatever it is. and they pay you and you report it to taxes so that some people, uh, some of the people that I coach actually uh, feel like that's you know, a big hurdle figuring out should it be an LLC or a corporation and all that. And I, I always tell them that it's not necessary to start with, that that's an expense. And when you're still, when you're just starting and not making a lot of money, it actually, I remember my accountant told me, you know, don't incorporate until your revenue is like $250,000. I don't know where he came up with that number, but the point was like, until you're making kind of a chunk uh, of money. Um, yeah, so I kind of started really young and, and um, without, you know, knowing how difficult it would be. <laughs> well, can you expand on that? Yes, I can. <laughs> so I, um, <laughs> the thing is, I was a little, I think I was kind of a little too junior to start. It just so happened we lost our account and then I got offered a freelance job and then the freelance job ended and I'm like, okay, uh, what do I do now? And I started um, looking, and I really had very little experience in the field. I was quite junior. So, uh, but apparently um, had some chutzpah, I guess, because I uh, started um, calling other people, other researchers and other moderators, asking if they needed someone to sit in the back room and take notes for them while they moderated or, um, or write their reports. And uh, I actually cold called, which I know is kind of the fear of almost everyone. I actually did that and, and found some people and some cold calling and I guess some word of mouth um, and ended up doing stuff like that. It turned out that there weren't that many junior people available because most junior people are employees and they're not available to just take off and come to your focus groups and take notes, you know, as it were. Um, and that was great because I ended up learning on the job. The funny thing was, though, that it was still, I was beginning, I didn't have that many um, uh, clients, and so at some point, I just was not making enough money, and I felt that I had no choice but to go to a temp agency and to get secretarial work to supplement my income, and I remember feeling like that was a huge failure. I was really depressed when that happened, and of course, I wouldn't call this Murphy's Law, I'd call it the opposite of Murphy's Law. As soon as I did that, the job started rolling in. I will say that um, the yeah. temp agency was very sad because the clients, the clients loved me as a secretary, but you know, you do need to move up from there. So um, yeah, but I, I remember that very clearly because sometimes these things happen that seem like, wow, that's such a failure. It's really depressing. And it's like, no, it's just, you know, things don't always go in a straight line and you need to, you know, not be that hard on yourself. In retrospect, I think, you know, being a little overly dramatic with myself in a way. I think it's a huge failure. It's like, no, it's like, you know, these are, you don't go from like zero to a hundred overnight. So that happens. And, but that, you know, was a, some, something of a humbling experience. Let's say that. And, and I was happy when that was over. Yeah. 
uh, you know, it's, did I fail in general or did I fail at that experience? And that's a, you know, those are two very different, you didn't fail anyway. It was a learning experience, but I think quite often people say, you know, this, this everything, I fail at everything. No, you don't fail at everything. You just had a hiccup. Exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, in retrospect, it's easy to see, but at the time you're like, oh my God, <laughs> what's going to happen? So I'm curious, when you were first starting out, did you feel um, going into it that you were underqualified or did you just kind of naively go into it and be like, oh, I'll figure this out? Um, yes. In that, um, yeah, I guess, I mean, I knew that I was still at a junior level. I think in retrospect that it's kind of funny to just go out on your own when you're that junior. Um, and not always a good idea because you do need to learn from somewhere. It turned out what I kind of, I don't know if it was completely planned, but what I evolved into was a great way to learn because I ended up um, taking notes and writing reports for the most successful moderators and getting to see a wide variety of them. It was kind of like, you know, the greatest education I could, um, you know, could have asked for. So that, that worked out well. And then later on, I found out about um, uh, the association that, that we have, uh, the uh, QRCAs, the Qualitative Research Consultants Association. And that's really, there aren't that many schools to learn this stuff, but at the association's meetings is, is when we, is where we kind of exchange the stuff. And I was kind of shocked about, because these people are basically all competitors and most of them are, are you know independent, self-employed, or, or run their own business, and yet they're sharing this. And and I became one of those crazy people too, because I just finished being the president of that association. Now you know, 20 years later, but at the time I was like, wow, what's you know what's this? But you know that that was great. So it was part part planning and part luck, you know, that ended up working out. No, that's yeah, that's uh, that's well, because I know a lot of people, right, right, even as coaches. Um, we don't necessarily feel fully qualified when we're first going into something. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go ahead and try it out and just start. And then you start learning whatever it else, whatever else it is that you need to do along the way. Um, but what you said about when the, you don't necessarily go in a straight line that really resonated yeah. with me. Cause I've even gone through that recently where, you know, uh, it takes time to build your own business. And just because you may have to do something else for a little while, or you go in a different direction, it doesn't mean that it's failed. It just means that you may need to go down a little bit different path that may inevitably end up opening up more doors. And like that old saying goes, once you let go of something, that's when it always seems to come back to you. Um, <laughs> yes. And I see a lot of parallels between what had happened to me back then uh, and today with the people that I'm coaching in, in developing their businesses and, um, uh, and especially talking to, to life coaches that have recently uh, graduated from the uh, life, life coach certification, you know, the intensive course. Um, it, yeah, this is, I'm always thinking about that because I'm thinking back to that and I'm thinking, yeah, it didn't, it didn't happen overnight and why should, you know, we expect that of ourselves uh, as coaches that suddenly overnight we're going to go from, uh, you know, just graduating to being Tony Robbins, for example. <laughs> I always think of Tony Robbins as quite an extreme example because I think he's great, but he does seem to be a, a little bit insane, but, but in a good way, in case he's listening. <laughs> in a good way. But, he's yeah. very intense, yeah. right? There's a different yeah, flavor for intense. everybody. Some people really love that intensity. 
and then other people that's that's not their jam so i've had a uh, thought to i wish i could uh, create a coaching program that would be called tony robbins home edition so it's kind of like <laughs> i love this idea but like, without the walking on hot coals or yeah, stuff it's like, like that. tony robbins cage match ultimate fighting championship <laughs> Exactly. Why you could just call it the Jay Zaltzman Home Edition. You don't even need. You don't have to call it Tony Robbins. You just call it you. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for the word of confidence. <laughs> you know, I touch a little bit, Jay, on um, what you said about uh, you know, kind of be realizing that you're not going to get it all at once, because that was something that you told me when I was, uh, you, you know, utilizing you as a coach and and still utilizing you as a coach, but that um, and and a mentor that that you know, I had all these ideas of what I wanted to do. And I was getting very frustrated right away that uh, nothing was happening, you know, because I, I had the desire, I had the, you know, you helped me with the clarity portion of sort of where I was going. But they, you know, taking the action doesn't always mean you're going to get the result right away. And learning to be patient with yourself um, is, is a massive lesson um, to learn. Um, particularly when you are used to being on the fast track in, in your life and everything else and not getting the immediate result um, despite putting in the work is, is a very uh, good lesson. So I wanted to thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, as you're saying that, a couple of things uh, come to mind. Uh, so one is that you say, oh, particularly when you're on the fast track. But if you look back, and, and I know uh, both of you uh, quirky corporate chicks have been quite successful. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that was overnight either. Now that you look back, it might seem that way, but you know, you need yeah. to go again from, uh, and, but we kind of forget that that's one, but also the other is, you know, they say that when you're coaching someone, you're also, it, it's always about stuff that you need to learn yourself. Um, I kind of struggle with that a bit also, because I think um, I think of that reality of look, you know, give yourself some space and, and, you know, don't expect it to happen overnight. But then I compare it with, with Tony Robbins, actually. I think his book, it's very, it's a book from the 80s that he wrote. One of, I think it was his first bestseller was Awaken the Giant Within. And, you know, he makes that point that, look, you know, people, he said that people say to me, you know, oh, you're so lucky that you're such a, a great uh, public speaker. And he said, I'm not lucky. He said, when other people in my business would speak, you know, twice a month, I would speak five times a week. So, like, you know, in six months, I had like what other people would get experience in five years or that kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And so on one hand, I see that it is possible to like have that intensity and get things done theoretically. But most of us also, you know, we want to have a life, you know, it's, it's, and that's what I try to balance. Like, yeah, if you're really, if, if you really must, then there are ways to fast track things in your life. But there's a cost to that. Like not all of us can say, oh, we're going to drop everything else and nonstop just focus and, you know, grind ourselves into the ground. And in a way that takes me back to Tony Robbins' home edition and that like, I, I like, I, I think there's something to be said about having that drive and all that, but, you know, without going so overboard that you burn yourself out. And so how do you balance um, or how do you keep yourself disciplined working at home? Well, you've been doing it all this time, so you must be must be successful at doing that. That's a great question. And I have talked uh, about that with, with people. Um, so because I, I've had these friends that have said to me, oh, I, I would never be able to do that because they're employees and they're like, oh, if, if I just had to have the self-discipline, I wouldn't do it. But 
I think part of it was maybe going through that phase where there was no work coming in and getting kind of desperate and then like just being really appreciative of that, you know, getting paid. So, um, so there's that. It's like, no, it's like you need to do this to make the money. And then also, I mean, I think that it's worth um, considering the fact that there are benefits to being self-employed, whether it's from home or from an office, is that, yeah, on one hand, you have to have that self-discipline, but in return, after you get over that initial, I mean, so the first hump, I think, in self-employment is that you have to get the customers and marketing is a big problem. And that's what employees say. Well, the nice thing is I get paid anyway. I don't have to go and hunt for the work. You know, it just comes to me and I get a paycheck. Um, and that's great. However, so you're getting paid, you know, at 100% of your normal amount. But then tomorrow you could be laid off and fired or fired and suddenly you're going from 100% to zero. Versus when you're self-employed, sure, in the beginning it's hard to get clients and you don't know if you'll be making enough money and all that. But after a while, you get several clients and suddenly I realized that um, it's very unlikely that all my clients would fire me at the same time. So I could have a bad <laughs> year and go down from 100 to 70%. Then I have a good year, though, and go from 100 to 150 or 200%, which is, again, unlikely when you're salaried that you suddenly jump you know, like, like that. And so I think when I realized all of the benefits of self-employment, I'm like, okay, that's, it's a, a small price to pay to have that discipline. And to say nothing of the fact that when you have the discipline, you can also then take time off when, you know, when it suits you, as long as you can fit it into your, your work plan. So um, I think it's just well worth it to kind of remind yourself, okay, th there are rewards for, <laughs> for having that work, work at home uh, discipline. And I think, like you said, too, kind of in sales, right? Like, it, it is a numbers game. Like, eventually, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut. And if you're calling and talking to enough people, eventually you're going to some business. Um, and I do think the other portion of that, too, even I've, I've found for myself, is, is having goals. So that you have some accountability for yourself to say, this is what I'm going to plan to do this week. Because otherwise, if you don't have any goals or you don't have a timeline, then it's just kind of like you're meandering, you're going to lose steam. Um, and that's where, you know, either for yourself, making sure that you do have that or even working with a, with a coach to make sure that they're holding you accountable um, to whatever those goals are, that that's what's going to help you to get to be successful. Uh, I, even again, for myself here recently, I just kind of felt like I was petering along a little bit. And then when I really held myself accountable to say, well, what, what are the ambitious goals you've set for yourself? Um, I, I wasn't pushing myself nearly enough to be like, okay, by the end of this week, this is what needs to happen. So I think those are no. two important aspects. I think that that's great advice. And that reminds me though of another thing as far as like, you know, goals and that type of thing. I think it can be important. And, and again, it's, I think it's a luxury that we can have when we're running our own businesses to, um, to be able to take a step back and, and look at like, what am I doing and what are my goals and, and, you know, what do I want to be doing? Because, um, you know, you might say at a certain point, no, I'm okay for, uh, just, I, I like, like, for example, oh, I like a lifestyle where I'm not working that hard and I'm willing to make the trade-off of, um, you know, not making as much money or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I think it's funny because one of the things early in my uh, business, I was trying to grow it to be a larger business and have employees. And I was at one of my association meetings 
we were having a discussion. I said, yeah, because I, if I were to break a leg, what would happen? I wouldn't make any money. And this colleague said to me, well, if that's the reason that you're doing it, why not just get disability insurance? It's a lot easier than hiring employees. <laughs> that's and I so thought, great. That's genius. It's like disability insurance is expensive, but there's also a lot of resources involved. In, you know, and I decided that, yeah, you know what? I actually prefer the lifestyle of running the business as a home-based business where it's basically me and then I bring in subcontractors as needed, but not like this model that I had seen of like, oh, I should ha run an office and have a big company and I don't know a desk that says president on it. It's like not necessary and not necessarily going to give me the best life. And it was like a light bulb moment when the woman just said, get disability insurance, which I did. <laughs> well worth it. <laughs> Well, I'm an intern in Palm Springs anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably it's, uh, it's poolside. It's 59 degrees and we're treating it like people are hunkering down and staying inside the house and like, you know, putting it on It was a high place. of six yesterday here in Breckenridge. It was, wow. it was so cold. I skied the day before and it was only three degrees when I went out in the morning. And I think I might have a new rule. It used to be if it was below zero, I wouldn't go. But yesterday... It was, or the day before it was, I, it, my face hurt. It just hurt. So uh, I think I've got you guys all beat as far as cold weather goes. Did you have your balaclava on or you know, do you cover your whole face? Oh yeah. yeah. The whole yeah. thing. And even still like my little nose was peeking out. Yeah. So I have this weird thing. Like I have to have my nose out. I don't like it when the fabric is like, you know, going up into my nostrils. So it has to be out when I'm going down the mountain. Just, isn't that a great visual? Um, I, but like in the wind, so I was like going over the rollers and I'd literally be like, wee, and then I'd be like, it's so cold, wee. <laughs> it, was, it was quite comical if anybody was actually able to hear me on the chairlift. So yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Jay, for your time. Uh, is there anything else you want to say to our, our lovely listeners before we sign off? Uh, you know, no, this was great. It's always fabulous talking to you. And I, I, I love your podcast. I think this is a great idea. So uh, uh, listeners, you know, listen to them all. Well, <laughs> Jay, partially to thank for the podcast, because when I was kicking the idea around, I was um, running it, running it by you. And, and you were very helpful of, you know, why don't you just do it? <laughs> Yes, thank like, you, Jay. Why don't I just do it? Just, just fuck it, do it, you know? And uh, here we are. So uh, we are less beyond measure here at, at QCC. <laughs> and I love the name. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jay. And uh, thank you, everyone. Bye.